This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about some possibilities for the next UFC apparel deal. There might be some players in this game that you should take more seriously. We're going to hear from Dustin Poirier himself. He joins the show. And then we're going to play a little game where we describe film plots badly. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Well, happy Thursday to you. Hope you're doing well. Obviously, uh, I think most Americans have a three-day weekend coming up. Not every American. If you have to work, I salute you. So, um, but if you have some time off, use it. Relax. Grill out on the barbecue. You know? Uh, maybe have some so limited social circle you interact with. But, you know, if you can see people in a safe way, I would recommend doing that as well. You know, watch some fireworks. I don't know if fireworks are legal in your state. They're legal in my city. Obviously, I don't live in a state. They're legal in my city. And they're, Cobb, I mean, you live in the uh, outskirts of New Jersey. Are people setting off fireworks in your town every night? All the time. (laughs) What is happening? So it started on uh, Juneteenth, which I understood because America is taking a, a different view towards Juneteenth as a way to, uh, quite frankly, celebrate the history of uh, the emancipation of, of black America, right? And then some. And uh, so there were fireworks on Juneteenth, because remember, that was in close proximity to all the protests here in, in D.C. And so I was like, okay, I get it. And then it went on for a few more days, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Dude, it's you know several weeks later at this point. Every night, it sounds like we're in the Gaza Strip over here. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Do you know what the story is there? I don't know. It's just become the thing to like protest. So with fireworks, with Roman candles, I think I think it's all part of the same thing. My favorite explanation is that uh, Kid Rock saw a shadow, which means four more weeks of fireworks. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it's not that it's not very bad here. But like usually at like two in the morning or like, like late after midnight, I hear them going off. It's every, oh. it's every night. Dude, my kid gets woken up. I mean, we had fireworks when I was a kid. Even when I was a teenager, you played fireworks a little bit. There are some now, dude, and it sounds like, I mean, I have, in the military, I've thrown grenades. I've thrown them. I know what it feels like to be on the other side of a wall when a grenade has gone off. Uh, it, I mean, it's shocking how loud it is. All right, but a different conversation for a different time. So let's get to this. If you guys recall, UFC President Dana White was on uh, the Schmoes podcast. Uh, not too long ago, a couple of weeks, something like that. And a few different pieces of news came out of it, and some that caught people, people a little bit by surprise, but, and, and even me at the time. But then I did a little like research and digging about it, and I was like, mm, maybe this is not as crazy as I thought it was. So let me play the clip, and then I'll set up what my point is. We have the audio. It sounds like this. The Reebok deal is coming to an end at the end of the year. Is it safe to say that the deal would be with one of these three companies, a Nike, Under Armour, and then I'm going to throw in a Dark Horse, Venom, for the mm. re- for the kits? Look at this guy. Um, you never know. Yeah, I, obviously, I can't tell you that. You can't tell. But is it, yeah. is it, is it, it one of the be, three? One of the three or outside of that bubble, is it likely that there wouldn't be a, a sponsor to come in there? What are the three again? Venom, Under Armour, Nike. Yes. Okay. One of the three. One of the three. Excellent. Okay. So um, let's talk about this for just a second. Why would all three be potentially some decent fits for the UFC and maybe even Venom the best one? And I know that sounds a little crazy, but I actually think that that might be true. All right. A few reasons. Um, Let's go through them a little bit here. Nike has a combat line. Uh, I think it's called like Pro Combat. I've actually used some of their stuff before um, uh, as like a rash guard. It's not bad. It's actually pretty good. It's not special. Like I wouldn't seek it out by virtue of how much better it is than its competitors. But they have a Pro Combat line. And I think as part of that, um, they've dipped their toes into the combat sports space. In fact, Nike in Japan has long sponsored Yoshihiro Akiyama, I believe, and Team Cloud. 
and they have made gear for them. So certainly you have inside the company existing core competencies and involvement inside the MMA world. Now, in the North American side, that is very, very minimal. Uh, Although, remember, they sponsored Anderson Silva in Brazil, and then they briefly had sponsored John Jones here in the United States. I think the MMA market is something that they had wanted to get involved in for some time and just haven't been able to do it. Not that it's some huge market. I mean, obviously, it's better for them to be involved in, you know, whatever. I don't know who makes. I think I think Nike makes the NBA jerseys, but whatever. Whoever they have a deal with, you know, in Oregon, you know, for example, with the Division One college. So, um, so they have some involvement. And obviously, if you're the UFC, there's going to be prestige. Now, I want to preface this. I should have said this at the, at the outset. If it's the same thing as the Reebok deal where the fighters don't get any of the money that they had essentially lost when the Reebok deal was instituted. In other words, if there's not substantive changes to this policy to up the amount of money that fighters make, then we're just, you know, I don't really care about any of this. But I'm going to I'm going to say what I'm saying now with the hope with the hope that maybe UFC could do something like what PFL is doing, which is, okay, we're going to hold on to the kit. We're going to have say over the kit, but you're going to be able to put up to three different sponsorships on it. That by itself would also not be great, but that's a much better situation than what we have now. But of course, until the fighters have some kind of association or union, we're just are where we are. All right. So that's the first one. Nike obviously makes sense for a lot of reasons. It's a prestige brand. They have some involvement in the business, uh, in particular in Japan, but um, even here in the United States. Okay. That, That one's pretty straightforward. Under Armour is an interesting one. Because there's an article from the New York Times in January about how Under Armour had lost its way. Under Armour had almost three years where every quarter they had 20% quarter over quarter growth as a company. And what the article essentially argues is that the reason they were able to do that was because they had invested in gear that and clothing and everything else that was designed around performance enhancement. You'll recall if you ever had Under Armour gear, they have hot gear rash guards. You can get cold gear rash guards, which are designed to be worn like maybe underneath your shirt or jacket or layers anyway in the middle of winter. They even had a shirt that was designed to wear at night to help you rest and recover. Right? They've sort of always been about, you know, let's get the best out of you. And um, they've had some real growth. I, I even was watching, you know, rugby one time on NBC Sports and the teams there who I did not know, but they had Under Armour gear on. Uh, but apparently what has happened is there has been, number one, too many cooks in the uh, kitchen trying to micromanage some of their bigger projects. Number two, they nearly lost Steph Curry over some internal disagreements. Number three, it turns out the biggest problem was this one. They were not prepared for the rise of athleisure wear, right? Where people are wearing like Nike joggers to the bank or something like that to the grocery store. And that's a huge market. And Adidas was better positioned for it. Nike is probably the best position for it. Even Reebok, to an extent, sort of in on that market a little bit. It apparently caught Under Armour with its pants down to the point where they had a corporate reorganization about who was leading from the top. And they've been embroiled more recently in a scandal uh, about trying to get out of their uh, sponsorship agreement with UCLA, which is worth an incredible amount of money. Um, And now they're going to go to court, right? So what they wanted to do was essentially terminate an agreement that is worth, I think it was how much here? 200 something billion dollars. No, sorry. It was worth... um, Gosh, I'm not sure how much it's worth here. A significant amount of, oh yeah, $280 million deal. This is from the LA Times. Under Armour has informed UCLA that it wants to terminate the record-setting $280 million deal. The apparel giant signed with the school in 2016, a financial blow that the Bruins intend to fight. The company said in a statement Saturday it wanted to end the partnership because of UCLA's inability to provide unspecified marketing benefits as required by the contract between the parties. Just a bad look for them. The other part was I read about these contracts like when Under Armour was asked to provide, you know, gear for, let's say, um, shoes or, uh, you know, uh, basketball jerseys, they could do that pretty well. But they would sign these agreements with these Division One schools where now they have to provide stuff for volleyball 
or swimming, and they apparently just had no internal competencies about that, and they messed it up big time. So, like, there's a few problems that Under Armour has. Now, why do I bring this up? Because they do make, here's why they'd be an interesting fit for UFC. Remember, the athleisure thing, they were never good at. It's what caught them with their pants down. And you might say, well, they should go chase that market. That's one strategy. The other strategy here might be, well, listen, what do they do well? They do well with gear, clothing, whatever, that's designed to maximize the athlete's performance. I could imagine for training gear, which is essentially what they'd be asked to provide here. And again, part of this is athleisure as well, but they could bring that along with it. That would be a good fit for UFC. And I remember before the deal was announced with Reebok, there were these mock-ups that got released that had kits uh, made for UFC that had Under Armour logos on them. I wonder if they were close to a deal previously and they just decided not to go in that direction. In any event, Under Armour could use some good publicity and hear what I'm saying. If the UFC gets the, if the UFC doesn't repeat the same mistakes from the first Reebok deal, which is one, you took out more money than you allowed the athletes to have that you put back in essentially. So there was a net loss of advertising revenue. And two, you brought in basically carpet baggers, right? People from outside of the fight community. You tried to bring them in and let me tell you something about fight fans. Fight fans can smell an imposter like that. I mean, fight fans uh, will fight among themselves all the time. They don't. They they uh, disagree vehemently. But a fight, a real fight fan, can talk to somebody else and figure out very quickly whether or not they are a real fight fan, whether the other person is a real fight fan. And these other organizations who've been outside the bubble. There's a little bit of hostility towards them because the art, the, the it's sort of internal belief is, well, you weren't here before. Now, all of a sudden, you want to get in while the getting's good? Okay. Well, we see you, imposter. And the reality is that's not a healthy view. But it, if you're a real fight fan, you know you've been at a party before and talked to someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge fight fan or whatever. And you talk to them and you realize pretty quickly that they're just an imposter. Fight fans can sniff them out right away, right away. And that is one thing that Under Armour is going to be up against. But I think if they manage the deal in such a way as to get additional sponsors on the kits that the fighters can have, I think you could kill two birds with one stone. Which then leads us to Venom. And I saw people being like, Venom? Venom doesn't have the market share that a Nike or even an Under Armour has. Fair enough. It doesn't. But I think people are sleeping on Venom a little bit here. And I'll tell you why. Do yourself a favor. If you've not ever been to the Venom website, go. What is the website? I think it's just Venom.com. Venom.com. Let's see. And they spell it all weird. It's V-E-N-U-M.com. I don't understand why they want to do it that way. But, you know, I don't, I don't like their logo, which the logo looks like something where you were at Six Flags riding some kind of ride called the Venom. You know, some sort of like weird over-the-top snake with fangs. Okay, so here, here I am crushing them, and you might ask, well, then why do I now want them uh, to be taken more seriously? Well, here's the thing that they have that Under Armour and Nike will never have. They are absolutely embedded in the fight community, and not just MMA. They're a big part of MMA. They're a big part of kickboxing. They're a huge part of boxing. Uh, And even parts of the fitness community they have branched out into. They sponsor individual athletes in that regard. Let me explain something to you. If you cross-train in any combat sport, if you wanted to, you could get all of your gear from Venom. You want rash guards? They've got them. You want geese? They've got them. You want boxing shoes? They've got them. You want boxing gloves? 8 ounce, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. They've got them. You want MMA gloves? They've got them. Mouthpiece? They've got them. Um, I'm trying to think what else they might have in addition to all of that. They have um, uh, board shorts that you, that you want them. You got them. Muay Thai shorts. 
they've got them. You want gym bags, they've got them. I mean, anything and everything that you could imagine they have. They have them for men. They have them for women. They have them for kids. They even have sponsored individual athletes. They have a sponsorship agreement with Vasily Lomachenko. In fact, in terms of their Venom team, they have incredible rosters, not so much in MMA. They have Angela Lee and then a Bellator fighter sponsored. So they've got some work to do there. But on the boxing side, they've got Lomachenko, Callum Smith, uh, King Tug, Jorge Linares. In kickboxing, they've got Sitachai, Giorgio Petrosian, who's widely regarded as maybe one of the goats. The last two are the goats. They've got Armin Petrosian. They've got um, sort of on and on. In, 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 separate from kickboxing, in just Muay Thai, they've got names. Uh, and then in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they've got uh, Hanato Canuto, who's like one of the big names on the scene. They've got Marcelo Garcia Black Belt, Gianni Grippo, uh, Luisa Montero. They I mean they've got some fairly big names, and as I mentioned, they got a couple inside MMA. But their biggest contribution is actually probably in boxing. And then they had some other cool things. I was looking at their gear and reviews. The reviews of their gear in different places is very very high. People seem to like the quality of it, and they have cool stuff where if you actually go, you can customize your own glove and go and look at the feature. You can actually rotate the glove in 360 directions, every which way. And you can do all the color patterning you want in every different direction, including down to the the stitching, right? Everything you want uh, really is sort of like uh, nicely done. If you want to go and buy something along the lines of the Lomachenko gear, they have it, they call it the Loma line. You know, I'll tell you, it's a little bit garish for my tastes. It's It's, you know, it's clearly an update to and better than Affliction t-shirts. I'm not saying it's on par with that, but I am saying it probably could be simplified and you know smoothed out a little bit. But here's what I mean. These people already make all the gear you would want for performance. They have their own internal athleisure line, and they don't carry the celebrated name that a Nike or at this point an Under Armour might, but they're not carpetbaggers. They are inside the community. They already service across all combat sports, including jujitsu, so grappling side, including on boxing, including kickboxing, including Muay Thai, right, which is distinct from kickboxing, they're, they're already here. And I think it's a lot better quality than people realize. The name is a little bit silly. The logo looks like it's from Six Flags. And as I've said, some of the gear is a little bit in your face with the size of the logos and the color patterning and stuff like that. It could be updated a little bit, but I have to tell you, if they went with Venom, and in particular, if they went with Venom in a way where, as I mentioned with Under Armour and with Nike, if they did it in a way where they allowed other uh, the athletes to have individual sponsorships on the gear, I have to tell you, I, I don't think that'd be the worst of all worlds, and if they can develop gear for Lomachenko, right, called the Loma line, could they develop gear along the lines of things for UFC fighters? Now, I don't see creative here in the same way that I was talking about, like with funny shirts, you know, that could be sold like for people like uh, Sean O'Malley. They don't seem to do that part really well, but they focus really strongly on training and they've sort of dabbled here at this point in athleisure. I got to tell you, if you were kind of bagging on Venom, you might want to reconsider a little bit. It would be an upgrade for them to get this kind of shine with UFC. I don't think it'd be the worst partnership in the world. Far from it. Far from it. This week on World of Basketball, former New Zealand star Kirk Penny joined the show, and he spoke about how lucky he was to play for two great Hall of Fame coaches in Dick Bennett and Bo Ryan. Honestly, I, I feel so blessed to have played for both Coach Ben and Coach Ryan and the, the coaches that have great systems, they have a real loyalty to their system. Like they are not going to change. The player needs to fit into that system. When you find those coaches, even if the players aren't nearly as good as the other team, because they're so disciplined and they eliminate losing, they're going to find ways to beat you. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora and Apple Podcasts. Joining us now on the hotline is the gentleman who was victorious in Saturday's UFC Vegas 4 main event in the lightweight division. It bumped him up to number two in the rankings and certainly 
Easy fight of the year contender, easy round of the year winner thus far. An incredible performance. Uh, he, he graciously made some time for us and joins us on the hotline now. It is Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Hi, Dustin. How are you? Good, man. What's going on? I am uh, delighted to talk to you, Dustin. Well, first, let's get a bit of a health update. After 25 minutes of that car crash, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm good, man. My uh, shin's a little bruised and busted up, but, but I'm feeling good. Now you had that uh, swollen ankle. That's the ankle that you. Uh, that's the one that you got kicked in. Oh, that's your, that's your right ankle. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's just the blood draining from my shin down to my ankle. The ankle is fine. It was just uh, the shin kicks he was throwing did the damage to, to that leg, and the blood started draining. You know, over the, the next few days. All right, I got a million questions about this fight. First, we'll talk about the implications a little bit later. First, we had your coach Mike Brown on the show. He thinks that. Uh, Hooker stopped kicking as much around the second round or so because it was shin on shin. Uh, it was too painful for him. Is that is that your belief as well? Like, why did he give up the kicks after the second round? I'm not sure. We know for sure. Uh, I'm not sure why he stopped. But one thing we do know for sure is that his coach said he broke his foot or they thought he broke his foot um, whenever Mike was speaking to his coach at the hospital. So maybe that's why, you know. I see. Uh, okay. Fair enough. All right, let's get into this. What were you expecting from Hooker relative to what you got? Was there a big difference between the two in your mind? No, I was expecting him to be at his best for him to do everything he can to try to win this fight. You know, this was the biggest fight of his life. Um, this was a huge opportunity. And I've been in that position before, and I know the drive and the motivation and, and the focus that you have when you get put in those positions. So I expected the, the best we've ever seen from him. Uh, I guess what I mean is strategically, like in the first round, kind of like pressing into you on the outside of your right foot, right? Sort of like pushing you back in a circle. Some of the setups he was using in terms of that, was any of that surprising? You know, his uh, combinations were, were good. The way he was switching it up, going down and, and finishing up top with hooks and, uh, to the body and then like I said going back up top breaking up the rhythm um, I kind of got a groove of it later on in the fight but at the beginning you know he was landing real clean man yeah first he was so I, here's what I picked up on in this fight again from my uh, layman's perspective Dustin right around the second round or so you really begin to pick up his timing and you would leap into range with your left hand and you caught him with this over and over and over and over again my question is was this something you knew you were going to be able to land early in the fight or even even you know before in terms of like the planning? Or was this just something that you made an adjustment to in the middle of the fight? This is just something like during the fight, I felt like I couldn't miss. So I just kept going back to it, you know. I, um, I land the straight left on a lot of guys, and I do switch stance a lot with, with when I throw the straight left um, to cover distance. So Mike Brown thought it was going to be effective in this fight to cover distance by switching stance and throwing my right hand from the back from the orthodox stance. And it did. It landed almost every time I threw it. So that part was, was kind of premeditated. But me throwing the straight left, I, I do that in all my fights. Yeah, it was just, it was just the, the thing that caught, me, caught my attention, Dustin, was so many times you seem to surprise him. Like he just never saw it coming. And so your left, which is your power hand, you know, it, it hits hard no matter what, but you could tell he was just getting caught every time in such a way that it, it almost shocked him a little bit. I think that's the thing that I think that's the thing I'm sort of picking up on. Does that make sense? Yeah, and also I have a weird way of throwing it. Um, I kind of sneak, you know, it's kind of sneaky and hard to read. Sometimes I'll, I'll get in the brawl and, and start throwing looping shots that obviously you can tell those are coming. But uh, when I just snap it out and don't put everything on it, it's, it's really quick and accurate, man. I, I, um, I land it often. And here's the thing that also stands out to me, Dustin. And, you know, we had this conversation after your win over Max Holloway. I, rem I don't know if you remember this, Dustin, but I clearly do, which was after you won, a lot of people were saying, you know, well, Dustin's got, you know, really big power, and you do. And you were kind of remarking, but no one, or not enough anyway, people were talking about, you know, sort of like the skill it took to beat someone like Max Holloway and what you had showed. You know what's really impressive here, man? Your timing. You have some of the best timing Geez, in the UFC, it's exceptionally good. And I, I wonder if uh, more people are giving you some, some credit for that now. Um, you know, people have 
been praising my boxing skills over the last few fights, but uh, to break it down and talk about my timing and the way I catch guys mid mid shift and, and catch them in, but you know, in their motion and split their their balance and stuff like that. People don't talk about that. Uh, that's kind of an in depth breakdown of of the way I, I make these shots work. Well, I got to tell you, <laughs> it's working quite well. Dustin Poirier joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, Dustin. Here's the other part about this, though, and I guess maybe. I guess maybe you kind of had a taste of it with the Max Holloway fight. I thought for sure, man, some of these punches were going to sit Hooker down. And they just, I cannot believe that you two did what you did to each other and no one got knocked down. When this fight was over, were you a little surprised by that? Yeah, because, I, you know, I landed flush a few times and I can crack, man. These guys are tough. That's what I tell people. These are the, like the top guys that I'm fighting now. They're the best in the world, man. These guys are so hard to put away. It must be like, on the one hand, you're beating better guys, but I go back and I watch some of your other fights, and there's a certain kind of ease you put them away with. Uh, Certainly, we know you hit hard, but um, I wonder if it's made you a more patient fighter. Yeah, but at the same time, I guess I'm patient enough because I'm over here diving headfirst into battles (laughs) with these guys. I should, should, um, you know, I got hit with a lot of shots in this fight that that I feel like I'm a lot better fighter than that than I showed. Uh, I should have been more elusive and rolled and, and slipped a lot more shots than, than, I, than I did. Last thing on, uh, two more questions on the fight. One, it, in defense of Hooker, I got to tell you, that knee of his is, is, is tricky. The elevation he gets on that thing is shocking. It sounded like in your interview with John Anik after the fight, you were also surprised by just how his hips must be so flexible, Dustin, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Like the guy, must he has to be crazy flexible, man. The way he was lifting it up, and uh, you know, not even really arching his back or getting on his toes, he could just lift his legs straight up like that over my head. It felt like so. The guy's very flexible, no doubt about it. And, and he did clip me pretty good with the knee in the end of the second round. Yeah, how hurt were you? Were you dizzy? Oh, I was really hurt. The shots he was landing, the punches he was landing, you know, were kind of uh, they were landing clean, a few of them. So I was kind of starting to you know, worry, like I need to get myself out of here. This is trouble. And then the knee hit me and I was, you know, I was hurt. If, if you had another minute or two, I would have been in a lot of trouble. All right. So let's talk about some of the pieces of the groundwork here. Uh, the guillotines, <laughs> Mike Brown was on our show and he was like, I have been fighting with Dustin to not let, uh, go for the jump guillotines. And it's the only thing we ever fight over uh, in your mind. What are you looking for there? Obviously Dude, the about, guillotine I'm- finished, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> I know better too, man. I'm just having fun, man. I, I, uh, I feel like I, if I put myself in a bad position, I have the skills and the awareness to get back up. And um, if it does become a battle for me to get back up, I feel like my conditioning is better than these guys. So if, I'm, if I get myself tired getting up, these guys are going to be exhausted. Uh, but yeah, Mike is always telling me, don't, don't give up position for the guillotine. You know, I've never even hit it in a fight. I've never finished it in a fight. I'll finish it in the gym every day. I finish guys with guillotines every day. But fighting is different than practice. And uh, you know, <laughs> he was yelling at me not to do it. It's funny. All right, the last thing on this on the ground, I think it was maybe fourth or fifth round. You got on top. You scooped his legs with yours, almost like almost in mount, except he was kind of sitting up a little bit. He rolls. You feed his wrist to your same side wrist, and then you kind of pounded on him. I couldn't help but notice, you know, I'm not saying uh, you took it from him, but it looked a little Khabib Nurmagomedov-esque. Um, is there any influence from that or is it just something that happened that's been training, you've been training it for a while and it just materialized in this fight? Yeah. Me, I mean, he, he is one of the best guys to use that position, but, uh, wrist ride from that position, Mike Brown, me and Mike been working that. That's one of Mike's positions. I actually, uh, I probably could have finished the fight if I would have split hooker's legs with my knee and put my knee to the mat, you know, and, and not allowed him to, to hit back up. It might've been checkmate right there, but, uh, you know, I didn't execute the, the the technique properly, and I should have split the legs. But, yeah, I, I broke him down for a second and had him in trouble. Hmm, interesting. Dustin Poirier joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Uh, okay, so let's talk about coming out of this. Man, uh, what a phenomenal win. Round of the year, I think, round two. Five-round war. We had just played some audio from Hooker, and he said that you said you were not looking to fight the rest of 2020. Is that true? No. I mean, it just depends. It just depends who, who they offer me and, and what's, you know, what's on the table. So, so what is an attractive offer that would get you to fight again in 2020? 
title shot, a title eliminator, uh, a big fight, you know. I've, I've been doing this a long time, man. I don't, like, I want it to mean something more than just a show and win purse and another fight. Like, I don't want to stay busy uh, fights. I don't want fights to stay busy. I want fights to to continue my legacy, fights to uh, that really mean a lot. So I guess that would be, let's see, Connor. That would be um, that would be the winner of Justin and Khabib. Or if they called you to fill in for either an injured or Justin or Khabib, do you take that fight? Most likely, I probably would. But looking at it from this far away, and I don't want to be a replacement fighter. You know, I want to earn my spot and, and have a training camp and, and do things the right way. Obviously, mixed martial arts isn't always like that. Sometimes you got to roll with the punches and, and take opportunities, but uh, I'd like it to be done right. Yeah. Uh, do you have interest in a Tony Ferguson fight if they pitch it to you as a title eliminator? Yeah, I think that'll be an exciting fight. Um, it just depends, man. We got to sit down and talk, you know? By the way, uh, you're not one to complain, and so I don't. I'm not. I'm not asking you to complain, but I, I do think it is worth having a conversation. I don't know if you saw this. Um, you know who Regis Progre is, right? The boxer. He's from your neck of the woods. Of course, yeah, he's from Louisiana. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this. We did some uh, searching around his name, and uh, in terms of like how many people are looking for him when he's fighting. And your name is significantly more popular than his. Like, it's not even close. And, you know, he makes some pretty big paydays. Now, I know that boxing has a bit of a different model. But I wonder, like, after a fight like this, are you able to go to UFC and be like, look, man, you know, I'm not in a title fight necessarily in the next one. But what's it going to take for Dustin Poirier to get a million-dollar payday? That's sort of what I'm getting at here. Yeah, um... We'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. I uh, I know how contracts work. I know what I what I agreed to and, and where I'm at on my contract. But I also know that, and I think they also know that I give it, I give all of myself to this every time out. So we just got to sit down and, and figure some things out. Yeah. By the way, like, do you feel like you're getting a? Do you feel like you're finally getting the rep that you deserve? Like you were always an action fighter and exciting. I, I don't mean that, but I mean like. Dude, when Dustin Poirier fights now, it's, you know, this is appointment viewing. You can't miss it because, A, the fights are important, okay, but also they are, I mean, it's just guaranteed action. You know, you're sort of getting this reputation now as, like, this high-level guy who just consistently delivers for the fans. Do you do you feel like the, that is happening now? For sure, but I've been feeling like that for my whole UFC career. The people who are saying that type of stuff now and hopping on the wagon are late to the show. I've been putting on fight of the year since 2012 in the UFC, you know, year after year after year. So um, that's just the way I fight. I don't go out there and try to do this. I just have this style that I end up getting in these kind of fights. I'm always trying to finish the guy. I'm always scrambling. I'm always trying to, you know, hurt these guys and, and get them out of there. And sometimes by doing that, you put yourself in harm's way. But, you know, as I mature, I try to do that less and less. But that's just the way I fight, man. In terms of the, uh, there's another sort of a talking point that media focused on ahead of this fight, which was you had never lost two in a row, which to fight, to fight at this level for 10 years and never lose two in a row is, is extraordinarily impressive. But I'm guessing like, do you pay that any mind? Do do you think about it in those terms? Yeah, for sure. I I know coming into this fight, I I know that I never have, you know, lost back to back fights. And uh, I didn't plan on starting right now. You know, I think I've even said that in, the, in one of the UFC interviews or the countdown show or something. Uh, I, it's not like before I walk out, I think about it. But during training camp, you know, I definitely think about that. Uh, did it add a degree of, did it change your fight style at all? Like, did it change like, the urgency or, I mean, what about it has a, an impact on the fight? Nothing at all. It's just, it's just mine. It's just mind play. You know, it, it's, it doesn't affect the way I fight. I see. Okay. Uh, Dustin Poirier joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Very quickly, if I could pick your brain, Dustin, uh, this Justin Gaethje fight. You fought this man. You beat him. You fought Nurmagomedov. It didn't go your way, but now they're going to lock horns. What do you make of Justin 2.0 and his chances against Khabib? Uh, you know, if Justin can keep it open, Matt, if he can stay in the center of the cage, I really believe he can give Khabib some trouble, man. I think scrambling and uh, his hips 
in the open is, is going to give Khabib a lot of trouble, maybe wear Khabib down, and he'd be able to land those big shots on the feet. But I, I honestly believe if Khabib gets anybody in the lightweight division against the fence, um, they're in for a long night. You know, It's just going to come down to how, how good can Justin stick to the game plan, use his footwork, and keep Khabib off of his hips and off of his legs against the fence. What do you make of his improvement under the uh, the guidance of Trevor Whitman since the Vic fight, right? Where he is, he's still kind of going out there and he's swinging for the bleachers a little bit, but it's a lot more measured. Yeah, and he's fighting. You know, he 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 definitely has made some improvements. He, I see him counterboxing, uh, pulling, and 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 throwing good counter shots and stuff like that. But it's not to me. It's not like he, he's made a huge, huge jump. He's definitely fighting a little bit more defensive and throwing counter shots. But besides that, the guys he's fighting. Or, or there to be hit. Were, were you surprised how one-sided his fight was with Tony? No, I was, I was preaching that a month before the fight. What, what were, what, why, uh, okay, tell me why. Like, what did you see before the fight that made you believe just, that was going to be a I, bad matchup? I just, I just think Tony um, makes a lot of mistakes technically on, on his feet. And uh, he was going to be there for Gaethje to land on. I just, I really thought that. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't think Tony was going to take Gaethje down. I, I thought it was going to be a, a boxing match. And and for the most part, it was, you know, Tony, uh, the way, the way he moves is very unorthodox, but it's also, he puts himself in bad positions. He put, he aligns himself up to get hit with power shots by doing some of the goofy stuff he does. Hmm. And so finally someone took advantage it also, of it. But, sort but of it also man. makes it, it also makes him very dangerous because of the, st- the stuff he's doing is, it's weird and the angles are weird, but he's putting himself in, in harm's way with his balance and with his, you know, footwork. Fair enough. Um, and the last question I guess I'll have for you here is you had talked about fights that only add to your legacy. This was an important fight for many reasons, but I, I would like to hear it from you. What do you think this fight from Saturday did for your legacy? It shows that I can be down and build myself back up again. You know, I lost the biggest fight of my career had the longest layoff of my career, the biggest surgery of my career, had a lot of physical therapy, you know, um, just, it was a long road to get back, to be able to even start a training camp, much less give it all in, in training camp and show up Saturday night to, to, to leave it all out there. I just showed myself once again, something that I already knew that I can count on me, man. Well, you certainly can. And I know Dustin, it may not, it may be weird, that the bandwagon is finally showing up. But I got to tell you, man, from the outside looking in, better late than never. I think it's finally dawning on people just how talented you are. And uh, just from the fans' perspective, a lot of fun to watch, but from the media as well. It is, it is uh, like I said, man, it is appointment viewing. So I'm glad it's finally coming your way in, in uh, the, um, the amount that it, it probably always should have. So congratulations, and we appreciate your time. Heal up, and we'll wait to see what's next. Thanks, brother. I'm excited to find out myself. Let's go. All right, man. Get some rest. Thank you so much. There he goes. Yep. Thanks. Dustin po- Yep. Thank you. Dustin Poirier. One of the best. Credit to the game. This is Aussie Football Rules America with Eddie McGuire. Pat McAfee. I think the AFL is going to take over America, and I think it's been a perfect time for me to discover it. I feel like a child. The dudes out there are just incredible athletes. The sport is so electric. It's so explosive. And I think it was the sport I was supposed to play. Catch new episodes Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and listen at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. You know, time to lighten the mood a little bit. Gave you a little bit of MMA news, gave you an interview, did some analysis. Let's have a little fun. All right, Cobb, you came up with this concept. So I'm not entirely sure what it entails. You told me yesterday, but I was barely paying attention when you talk, which is, you know, what I like to do. So Standard. one more one more time. <laughs> I'm teasing. One more time for the folks at home. This is, uh, explain what this is. All right. So this is something that's been trending for a long time on, t- on Twitter. I actually did one last night, which is what kind of brought it to mind. It's called hashtag explain a film plot badly. So basically what it is, is a very quick synopsis of a movie that is technically true, but wouldn't be the usual way you'd explain what this movie is. Okay. Now what you saw this on social media, right? Correct. So how do you want to do this? You're going to read me someone's bad recitation of things, and then I got to guess what the movie is? That's the way we're going to do it, yeah. All right. All right. Um, okay. Let's give it a try. All right. So here's the perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give you first the one that I tweeted out last night. 
All right. Okay. So for this movie, the synopsis is a father gets the ultimate I told you so card to play against his family forever. Uh, Would you like a hint? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? <laughs> no, but that might work too. <laughs> what is the answer? Taken. Taken? <laughs> yeah, he tells that girl over and over again, don't go overseas. He tells his wife, don't let her go. It's a dangerous place. And what happens? She almost ends up in the sex trafficking game. That's the ultimate I told you so, pal. That is, in fact, explaining that movie quite terribly. Okay, I'm going to get a bunch of these wrong then. I need to get a hint, man, because these are hard. Jesus Christ. All right, go, let's see what we got. Some of them can be. Some of them are easier. All right, so here's one for you. <laughs> Idiot, Ginger, and Mouse violate eight health code regulations. Ratatouille. You got it. <laughs> yeah. I just, by the way, I recently saw that. Did you really? I've never seen I, it, but I, I, would, I would be able to get it just off the... Uh, once you get the mouse in there, I kind of figure out what it is. You know, that's what's so funny about it. I had never seen it all these years, and I got uh, Disney+, Plus, and I was trying to get something that my daughter would watch other than Sesame Street, and uh, she fell asleep, of course, because that's you know par for the course. But I sat up and I watched Ratatouille. It's really good. It's really, really good. All right, next. <laughs> all right so uh, we'll go to the next one here. Uh Woman abandons all her standards to win back a horny teenager with greasy hair. Okay, hold on a second. Woman abandons all her standards to get back with a horny teenager with greasy hair. And this is only, like, this is not uh, TV shows. This is only movies. Only movies, correct. <sighs> I got to phone a friend. Give me a hint. Um, ooh. Classic musical movie. Grease? I can't. Yes. That's, ah! it. <laughs> I was thinking for a second it might have been Stranger Things because, uh, you know, that dude was, was trying to bang the horned up moms. Remember that? I don't know if you yeah. saw Stranger Things. But I've never like, really seen Stranger Things, but I've heard about it. Okay. So anyway, all right. All right. Hey, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. All right. What are you, two, two for two four so far? Two, two for two. two. Uh, two well, for two? Two, for, two for three because I got, I didn't know Taken. But yeah, I got taken. All, right. all right. Here's a little bit of a tougher one. The only one for this is a series of naps. Oh, Jesus. A series of naps. Um, Inception. Nailed it. Oh, look at that. <laughs> which, which, you're going to laugh at this. I'm not joking. I recently saw this one as well. Wait, when you say recently, when is recently? It was on Netflix last month. Wow, it took you that long to watch Inception? Uh, yeah, because I'm a douchebag. That movie's great. Yeah, it takes a couple watches to try to even really understand it, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, a yeah. very good I, film. It, it took two, to your point. It, uh, first time I was like, wait a second, he did the what because of the what now? And they're in the dream, in the dream, but how do you get in the dream with the dream within the third, fourth? I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we in five dreams. How many dreams are we in here? But then the second time made a little bit more sense. Okay, all right, there we go. <laughs> all right, so we got... All right, here's another one. A man almost commits incest. Oh. <laughs> a man almost commits incest. I feel like I should know this. Wait, no, no, hold on. This isn't like some take on Shakespeare, is it? No, not at all. Okay, because if it was like, you know, Romeo and Juliet or something, that wouldn't be here, but... You know, Shakespeare's always like having dudes bang their moms and stuff. He's weird like that. Uh, a man almost commits incest. Can I get a hint? Classic 80s film. Back to the Future? <laughs> you got it. Yeah! <laughs> Which, by the way, dude, hold on. I'm not doing a bit here when I tell you this. This is not a joke, and I swear on my mother, who is deceased, I am not looking at this, these hashtags on Twitter. I am not. I always, I also saw all three Back to the Futures recently. Like, like last week, I saw all three. How funny dude, is that? What were you doing? How did you not see any of the Back to the Futures till last week? No, 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 no. I had seen them previously, but I rewatched them. Uh, okay, okay. I was gonna say, yeah. Jesus, man. No, all the, three, other, I mean, the other ones, the other ones, I had, I, I, I was sleeping, but these I had, I had already seen before. I just, you know, I was bored. 
All right. Uh, let's give you another I'm one. I'm killing here. this game. I'm doing great. You are doing well. Well, once you, you've gotten the hints for two of them. Once you've gotten the hints, you've been right on par. That's true. Um, Fair enough. All right. Here's a fun one. Immigrant adoptee is repatriated to country of birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. One more time. Read that. We'll read that one more time. Immigrant adoptee okay. is repatriated to country of birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. <sighs> Immigrant adoptee. Um, you know what? If I ask for a hand, it'll be too easy. I'll, I'll probably get it. It's not Karate Kid Part 2, is it? It is not, no. Oh. What is it? Elf. <laughs> <laughs> He's not an immigrant. Kind of. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Okay. All right. Got any more of these? These are fun. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Uh, immigrant. He's like an alien. All right. Here you go. Uh, miserable billionaire terrorizes a mentally ill man. Miserable billionaire terrorizes mentally ill man. Joker? You're on the right path. It's actually a dark night, but that's pretty damn close. <laughs> oh, wait, but who would, who's the, who's the billionaire? It's Bruce, it's Wayne. Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, He's it's the Wayne of film plot badly. Okay, but badly and incorrectly are two different things. <laughs> it's people's individual take on these things. Wait, hold on a second. Let's talk about this for a second. In the Joker movie, which is why I said Joker, remember, he is all mentally messed up, and then he goes to Wayne Manor, and it was uh, Bruce Wayne's dad who was, like, real shitty to him. But in Joker, Bruce Wayne might have been out of touch, but he wasn't bad, and you couldn't say he was torturing the Joker. In fact, it was the other way around, right? He was terrorizing that poor mentally ill man, Luke. That's really what was happening in that movie. That is a incorrect assessment. I, I should get partial credit for that, but okay. If you have, I'll you have give you partial credit. You were on the right path. Um, all right, so here's another one. Uh, American invades foreign land, kills local leadership, struggles to find exit strategy. It's like every Middle Eastern war. Um, one more time. One more time, read it. American invades foreign land, Okay. Kills local leadership, struggles to find exit strategy. Kills local leadership. Fails to find exit strategy. Is this an animated feature? Not fails, struggles to find exit strategy. Struggles to find exit strategy. It is not animated, but it is uh, probably one of the most beloved films in all of cinema. Can you give me the decade? Ooh, I have to look the decade up. Give me one moment. You don't know that offhand? How beloved no. could it be? It's very beloved, but I just don't know exactly. It's an older film. 1939. Okay, good. I'm glad you told me that because I was about to say Star Wars, so I'm glad you didn't. Um, that's not my answer. That's just me thinking out loud. 1939. That's when the movie was made? Yes. Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I'm stumped. You got me. I have no idea. That one was The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz! <laughs> yes. This hashtag should be just make up things about the plot line. <laughs> It's kind of what happened. She invades a foreign land. She kills the one witch and she struggles to get to figure out how to get home. It's fair. God, I would have never in my life have gotten that. By the way, like when the quarantine first started, I showed my my um, my wife and my mother-in-law Wizard of Oz. They'd never seen it. Can you believe that? They'd never even heard of it. That's fun, funny. I guess. Is it just an American thing? Yeah. Dude, do you understand? They. So when my wife first uh, was with me, we were I think we were married at this point. Yes, we were married. We went to see A New Hope, which was the like the first of the new three Star Wars movies, right? And we went, not opening night, but like the day after opening night. And we had to line up like well outside the theater and like these long queues to get in. And there were, you know, Star Wars, right? So people were dressed up. 
Now, that's always kind of an interesting thing because even for the common movie-going experience, that is not normal. My wife, my wife thought we were in an alien country. She was like, we're going to see Star Wars, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, why are people dressed like this? I'm like, because it's Star Wars. She's like, right, it's Star Wars. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. You're saying Star Wars like just another movie. I'm saying Star Wars like cultural experience. She was shocked. It wasn't a big deal in South America. It just wasn't a big, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. And uh, it's the same with Wizard of Oz. By the way, you know what was the one I showed her that she loved more than anything? Can you guess the American movie that I showed her that she had never heard of that she thought was like really endearing? Oh, did you? You're not giving me a lot in there. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll give you one. It's set in the, um, it's set in New York. I want to say in the 50s. The Godfather? No, endearing. Not good, but endearing. I, I, I have no idea. This is the best uh, hint. I have no idea. Uh, West Side Story. West Side uh, Story. Uh, don't, don't you remember the white dude falls in love with a Latina? I fell in yeah, love I know, with I know, I know, I know the Maria. Thing. Yeah. In, in all fairness, I haven't actually ever seen that movie. I'm just not a big musical film guy. Okay, <laughs> I'm not either, buddy, but that's American. That's American <laughs> pride right there, my guy. Uh, okay, we have any more? We'll do one more if we have one more. All right, let me look for a good one here. Give me a, give me a tough one here. Tough one. And by tough, I don't mean stupid. <laughs> I don't mean like the answer is, you know, Ghostbusters and the, the description is, you know, guy bangs dog or something like that. You know, you got to give me a real one here. All right, I don't know if this is tough or not. We'll see. Uh, the whole world is filled with murderer space librarians. Boy, that is tough. Okay. The whole world is filled with murderer space librarians? Correct. The whole world is filled with murderer space librarians. Well, it can't be alien then. It can't be predator. Um, because the whole world would have to be filled with them. Newer film. I'm going to go Men in Black. Incorrect, sir. We were looking for a quiet place. That's what we were looking for there. <laughs> They're not librarians. Yeah, but the idea that they want you to be quiet. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, like I, have what, I like this game when I get them right. I don't like it when I get them wrong. Uh, nevertheless, we'll just do yeah, this. You're a big sore loser when you get them wrong. <laughs> oh, of course. I'm the worst at games. Are you kidding? Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.